read from uh, Joshua, Joshua chapter 8, and you can follow along as I read Joshua chapter 8, thank you, uh, verses 30 through 35. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what it was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the children and the foreigners who lived among them. Let's uh, pause and we'll uh, pray and then we'll jump into God's word this morning. Lord, we're so grateful for every person that is here. Uh, Lord, through um, a little bit of uh, adverse weather, um, but Lord, I thank you for their um, commitment and willingness to be here, uh, to worship, uh, to encourage one another, to encourage these young people who have put their faith in Jesus, and Lord, to hear from your word. And so I pray now that as we continue to look into your word and the book of Joshua, that you would open up our hearts, our minds to your truth that you want uh, us to learn today. And we pray that we would be challenged, we would be changed uh, because of uh, your spirit working in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you have been with us on this journey through the book of Joshua, and uh, others uh, have not. So I'm going to take about a 90-second or two-minute um, review and bring everybody up to speed about the book of Joshua. It's one of the fascinating books in the Old Testament, part of the history section of the Old Testament. And so uh, where does Joshua begin? Joshua begins with um, a new leader by the name of Joshua, who's with the, the nation of Israel, and they're on the edge of the Jordan River. They've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They have uh, seen an entire generation die in that wilderness as part of God's judgment for not obeying God and his promises 40 years earlier. And now their leader Moses is dead. And uh, God has raised up a new leader. There's a saying that says, when a man of God dies, nothing of God dies, and that is true. God had another man, another leader in place, uh, and his name was Joshua. And so they're ready to cross finally into the land of Canaan. Uh, one problem, the Jordan River is at flood stage, but that was not a problem for God, and he worked a miracle and cut off the flow of the Jordan River, and uh, two million Israelites crossed the Jordan River on dry ground and set foot into the, the land of Canaan, the promised land. And as we continue through the book of Joshua, we see that they make their way to a place called Gilgal, about eight or ten miles west of the Jordan River. And four significant events happened there at Gilgal. Uh, number one, circumcision of the males that had been neglected during that wilderness uh, time period, the, the mark of the covenant of, of God with the nation of Israel. Number two, they observed the Passover. That had been neglected as well. And so they observed their very first Passover in the land of Canaan. Number three, the manna ceased. Remember, for 40 years, God faithfully provided manna as a way of feeding the, the um, nation while they were in the wilderness. 
And then number four, significant event at Gilgal is that uh, Joshua had a face-to-face encounter with a man who identified himself as the commander of the army of Yahweh. And we said most commentators believe that was Jesus, a Christophany, a a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ to Joshua. And uh, there Joshua has this conversation with Christ himself. Well, then from there, uh, Jericho was the very first city, and we looked at that a couple weeks ago. Um, The thrill of victory, Jericho, uh, God had an interesting battle plan for them, and you know that story, the walls came tumbling down. God said, don't take any spoils. This first victory is going to be, uh, the spoils are going to be taken to the treasury for the tabernacle, Uh, destroy all of Jericho, and uh, Israel did that except for one man. And we looked at that last week. His name was Achan, who took some of the spoils for himself. And because of that, when Israel was about to enter into battle number two, the battle of Ai, uh, the next city-state in Canaan, and there were about 30 of them they needed to conquer, that um, they had a surprise defeat. And 36 soldiers died. And... uh, God revealed to Joshua the reason for that was because there was sin in the camp. And as we looked at this last week, we saw that Joshua, uh, through God's instructions, has the entire uh, nation of Israel come before him uh, and all the 12 tribes, and they narrow it down to the tribe of Judah. And then all the clans come forward and they uh, narrow it down to the clan of the Zarephites. And then all the Zarephites come by, family by family, and they narrow it down to the family of Zimri. And then all the men come by and they narrow it down to one man. And, and Joshua looks at Achan and says, um, Give glory to God and confess your sin and tell me what you have done. And Achan confesses uh, what he had done. And uh, he and his family faced severe, severe consequences. Um, Achan was stoned. His entire family was stoned. And uh, we said, uh, the scripture isn't clear, but we said um, his family was complicit in this sin. And so um, now that the sin has been taken care of, we come to Joshua chapter 8, and this is called Ambush at Ai. It's kind of Ai 2.0. They get a second chance. And uh, I'm glad for second chances in life. Uh, are you that... that um, we get second chances and God sometimes gives us second, third, fourth, and fifth chances because he's a God of grace and he's a God of mercy. And we see that uh, the nation gets a second chance to go in and, and win the battle at AI. So this morning we want to look at our outline and then we'll look at three life lessons from Joshua chapter eight. And uh, so let's, uh, let's begin here. And as my, um, one of my favorite speakers and pastors, Dr. Lutzer, who pastored Moody Church for a long, long time, is now Pastor Emeritus, as he likes to say, my job is to speak, and your job is to listen, and hopefully we end at the same time. So that would be good. So let's, we'll hopefully, you'll hang in there, we'll both finish at the same time speaking and listening. So let's look at it here, the commands. This is, this is where we start, Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. And uh, Joshua gives, is given some commands by God. Now, I found this fascinating. Uh, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Joshua. And did you ever wonder, as I've wondered, like, 
Okay, how did God communicate with, with Joshua? Was Joshua hearing an audible voice? And I, I, I'm going to say yes. Uh, I, I don't know for sure. Uh, the other thing I've noticed as, as we go through the book of Joshua is that Joshua is in close contact with, with God. And in fact, um, and let me just point out the, the passages here. Joshua um, 1 1. Uh, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Joshua chapter 3, verse 7, and the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua chapter 4, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua 4.15, then the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, verse 2, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, uh, verse 9, the Lord said to Joshua, uh, chapter 6, verse 2, Then the Lord said to Joshua, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Chapter 7, verse 10, The Lord said to Joshua. So what was the key here? Joshua, the leader of Israel, was what? He was listening to God. He had this, this close relationship with God, and he was listening to his voice. And uh, that's something that we need to, to uh, take to heart as well. And ask the question, are we aware of, sensitive to, listening to the voice of God and direction in our life? And some of us might say, well, I just wish God would just like speak audibly to me sometime. And uh, maybe at times God, God can do that, but um, God has spoken to us. And we have an entire book, 66 books of the Bible, that is God's message directly to you and to me. So God has spoken. And here again, Joshua chapter 8, verse 1, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Now, if you've been with us through the book of Joshua, God's already told him that. Uh, in Joshua chapter 1, when Joshua is taking the leadership of the nation, God's already given him these instructions. Joshua 1, 9, have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. So here... The Lord comes to Joshua a second time and gives him two key commands. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. We get fearful and we get discouraged in our lives when we focus on the circumstances of our life and not focus on God and his word and his promises. And one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4, where the prophet Isaiah writes these words. He says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the eternal rock. And so here um, God comes to Joshua and he's already told him, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. But they've been through some difficulty. They've been through an unexpected defeat. They've lost some soldiers and Joshua is discouraged and afraid. And God says, don't be discouraged, don't be afraid. Two of Satan's um, greatest tools are to have us live in fear and to discourage Christians. And so um, God comes to Joshua and God comes to us and says, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. And then he gives them some clear instructions. Uh, in Acts, uh, uh, Joshua chapter 8, verse, uh, the last part of verse 1 and he gives them four clear instructions from chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. 
Here they are. Number one, take the whole army with you. Go up and attack Ai. So remember, if you were with us last week, uh, they spied out Ai and they came back and said, oh, we don't, we don't need many people. They're not very strong and, and we just need to take three or 4,000 people and we'll, we'll be fine. So God says to Joshua, I want you to take the whole army. And then he says to Joshua, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. It's the same phrase that God used when they were facing Jericho. It's called a, a prophetic perfect tech, tense. And God's saying, I've already given you the victory. I, I, I've already delivered them into your hands. And so he assures Joshua of victory. I've delivered the king, the people, the city, and the land. Victory is certain. Uh, thirdly, he, he says in verse 2, um, that you can carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. So this time God says to Joshua, Go ahead and take the spoils, which was the normal um, procedure for conquering a city, that you could take the spoils with you. So go ahead and take the spoils and the livestock. You get to enjoy that. And then he gives some strategy of how they're going to fight against AI. And it's interesting that it's very different from what uh, how they conquered Jericho. And here it is, uh, one sentence here, verse 2 at the end, set an ambush behind the city. And so the strategy was uh, that they were going to work on an ambush to uh, deceive and to surprise the people of Ai. And so uh, we want to look at the conquest here and a, a rather long section of scripture. And I'm going to read quite a bit of this, but it's important for us to get the, get the narrative. And I think also in your bulletin, you have a little a map of AI, and that'll give you a little visual of what's happening here um, strategic-wise with the military conquest. So uh, here's, uh, here's the narrative. We're just going to read the story here. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack AI. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set up an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city, and when the men come out against us as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from the ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand, when you have taken the city, set it on fire, do what the Lord has commanded, see to it, you have my orders. So here's, uh, here's the ambush strategy. They have a lot more uh, military men now, and they set up an ambush west of the city. Joshua and his main army come from the north, and they come down to attack from the north. And when the men of Ai see that, they go out to confront Joshua and his army, Joshua and his army turn around and flee, and then the army that is uh, set to the west with the ambush uh, come in and take the city and destroy it. So uh, let's, let's read uh, some of the text here. We'll pick it up in verse, uh, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward Ai the javelin or spear that is in your hand, for into it, your, for into your hand I will deliver the city. This is the key moment. 
that when Joshua held out his spear, his javelin, that was the key for the, the men that were west of the city to, take, to go into Ai and, and with this ambush. It also reminds us of the very first battle that Israel fought on the other side of the Jordan. They fought against a group of people called the Amalekites. Remember the story that Moses was up on the mountain and he had his arms outstretched and as long as that staff in his hand and his arms were raised, Israel was winning the battle, but his arms got tired and when his arms went down, then the Amalekites were winning and so he got a couple of his helpers to hold up his arms and they won the battle. Well, here's Joshua and he's holding out his spear. He's holding out his javelin. And it says, as soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position, rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites who had been fleeing toward the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, and that smoke was going up from it, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. Those in the ambush also came out of the city against them, so that they were caught in the middle with Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, All the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand and held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and the plunder as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body down from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Well, that's, uh, that's uh, ambush at Ai and uh, God's uh, military strategy for the nation of Israel to fight Ai the second time worked to perfection and 12,000 people died because God's people followed and obeyed uh, God's commands as they begin to conquer and take the land. Well, this chapter ends with uh, an interesting section of Scripture, and we looked at the commands and the clear instructions, the conquest, but now we see the covenant renewed, and this takes place at Mount Ebal. Uh, these are the verses we read in our Scripture reading, and so I won't, I won't read them again, but sometime later, and you can see again Mount Ebal's about 30 miles north of Ai, that the Israelites go up to uh, Mount Ebal And according to Moses' instructions, they build an altar, an altar of uncut stones. And there, as both nations are kind of uh, both parts of Israel, they separate and they're on both sides of a mountain and a valley in between them, uh, they offer sacrifices on this altar, fellowship sacrifices and giving thanks to God for what he's done. But they also did something very, very interesting. 
they renewed their covenant and commitment to God. And it says afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had not command, had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women, children, and the foreigners who lived among them. What did they do? They, they read God's word. They read all the law. Uh, they, they probably read Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28, where it talks about, if you follow me and obey me, these are the blessings God's going to give you in your life. But if you disobey me, these are going to be the consequences. These are the curses. And I don't know how long that took, but there they were, the whole nation, two million strong, um, probably in that setting. They, they could probably hear Joshua because the acoustics would have been good. And all the men, all the women, all the children, and they worshiped God as, as Joshua read God's word to them. Well, Joshua and Israel wins battle number two, and uh, there's two down and about 28 cities to go, and the rest of the book of Joshua doesn't detail every battle. It details three or four of them, and then toward the end of the book, it lists these are all the cities, these are all the kings that Israel conquered. But uh, that's the ambush at Ai, and just in the 10 minutes or so we have left this morning, uh, let's look at some life lessons from Joshua chapter 8. So what can we learn? from this story uh, that can apply to our lives from Joshua chapter 8. And here's the, here's the first one. It's this, that God's word is the antidote, or we could say the prescription. God's word is the antidote for overcoming fear and discouragement in our lives. So how did God encourage Joshua when he was uh, fearful and discouraged? Well, he's, he gave him his word. And he said, hey, I'm going to be with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Actually, I've delivered AI into your hands. The victory's already been won. And uh, this, the same is true for us. Now, we're not fighting a physical battle uh, today, but uh, if you're a believer in Jesus, um, there's a spiritual battle that's going on. <laughs> I hope you're aware of it. Uh, usually, um, if if we're not really serious about our Christian walk. Maybe we don't realize that, uh, that we're in a battle, but there is a spiritual battle going on. Paul reminds us of it in Ephesians chapter 6, and he talks about the armor of God, and he talks about that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And, and oftentimes in our lives, and it happens to all of us, we go through, go through periods of our lives where we're fearful, we're discouraged, and uh, God's word is the antidote. Second Timothy 1.7, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a, a sound mind and, and power. And so that, that kind of fear doesn't come from, from God. Uh, Psalm 56, 3 and 4, I used to think it was a verse just for um, good for our kids and our grandkids, but it's a great verse. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And so what encourages us? Um, it's God's word. 
And uh, there are times in our lives where we need great encouragement. And First um, Thessalonians 4.18 talks about the fact that the grave is not the end, that Jesus is coming back, that there's going to be a, a, re, a rapture, a resurrection, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. If there's ever a time when we need encouragement, it's when we lose a loved one. And for loved ones in Jesus, Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words because there's hope because of what Christ has done. And so oh, we need uh, encouragement. And that comes from God's word. It comes from his promises. Uh, it comes from God's people, doesn't it? That we all um, need encouragement. And, and I've said many times in my many years of pastoral ministry, never once have I had a person come to me and said, you know, I'm way too encouraged. You know, just, I mean, they're just over-encouraging me. So would you please tell them to not encourage me so much? No, we, all, we all need encouragement, and it comes from, from God's Word. So that's, that's the first uh, truth, that it's God's Word that's really the antidote for fear and discouragement. Secondly, we need continual reminders in our lives of God's truth. We need continual reminders in our lives of God's truth. Now, Joshua had uh, God himself speaking to him, and we looked at it eight times in the first seven or eight chapters of Joshua, we read, and God said, and it was a continual reminder of God's truth in the life of Joshua, the leader of the nation of Israel. We need reminders because we forget, don't we? And as time goes on, we simply uh, sometimes forget the promises of God and forget what God has done. That's why journaling is a good good discipline. Um, Some of you might be journalists here and uh, it's a great way of, of looking back and reading again uh, what God has done. And so we need, we need continual reminders. Um, the Shema for the Israelites, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, they recorded this verse every, every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Thou shalt love the Lord our God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then God says, I want you to uh, teach these truths to your children. And I want you to give reminders, visual reminders. And so the Israelites had phylacteries. They actually wore verses of Scripture. And uh, you'll see this today in uh, Judaism. Orthodox Jews, they'll have a little leather strap around their forearm. There's verses of Scripture there. Because Deuteronomy 6 says, bind them on your, your, your arms and on your forehead. And so you see pictures of Orthodox Jews, and they'll have a little leather strap and a little box, and there's Scripture in there. And if you go to their homes, uh, it also says to put it on their doorposts, and they do that literally because they want constant reminders of God's Word. And we need that in our lives too. Um, a verse of uh, uh, Scripture, a promise of God on a on a bathroom mirror, or on a, on a refrigerator, or on the dashboard of a car. Um, for us, if you were to um, come into our home, uh, the main wall in our living room is covered with crosses. And Diane collects crosses, and we have like 30 different style of crosses on the, on the wall. It's, it's a reminder of what God has done. And we need those reminders. God's given us not only uh, ordinance of baptism, but of communion. Why? We, we, we need a reminder. This do what? In remembrance of me. God's given us a rainbow as a reminder. What? I'll never destroy the world with a worldwide flood again. 
And so we need continual reminders um, in our lives of God's uh, truth. Number three, lastly, the third one is this. Times of renewal and recommitment are important steps in our spiritual journey. The times of renewal and recommitment are important steps in our spiritual journey. And so here's uh, the nation of Israel, and uh, they've won the, the battle of Ai the second time around. What's the first thing they do? They go to Mount Ebal, and they build an altar, and they renew their commitment to God. They renew the covenant. They offer sacrifices. They worship. They read God's word. They get renewed in their lives. Ephesians 6 says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's an imperative, but it's a continual reminder that we need to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to have control and influence in our lives. And so um, uh, D.L. Moody was asked once, why, why do we need uh, to be reminded to keep being filled with the Spirit? And D.L. Moody says, because we leak. And uh, that's, that's true. You know, we need that continual um, influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we need times of renewal and recommitment in our lives. What does that look like? Well, physically, um, we need renewal, don't we, and refreshment in our life. Uh, God's been very clear in, in the Scripture about uh, a pattern. It's the creation pattern. Uh, followed after God's creation, uh, six days you shall labor, work, 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 and then what's the seventh day? You better rest. And God rested not because he was tired, but just because he was setting this pattern as an example for us. And so, um, boy, do we need to, to, to take care of uh, our bodies and uh, make sure that uh, we uh, are properly uh, treating them and getting uh, enough rest and refreshment in our lives. I remember studies um, that I've read talk about the fact that most Americans are sleep-deprived. And if you're a parent of a young child, we understand that. You're going to be sleep-deprived. But, uh, you know, basically say we need more sleep, don't we? And, and we need to get um, proper rest. So now that all our, our kids are all out of the nest, uh, um, if I stay up till 9.30, that's a late night. So, you know, I get tired. I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to bed. And, uh, but we need sleep, don't we? We need, uh, we need to take care of our bodies uh, so we need to be renewed spiritually, the Sabbath principle. I hope you take a vacation as a family. Take some vacations. And, and that's important times of uh, families getting away, uh, just getting away uh, from our day-to-day -day, um, work life and um, enjoying a vacation in God's, God's creation. But what does it look like spiritually? So we need times of renewal and recommitment, not only physically, but we need that spiritually, and so it has to do with those daily disciplines, um, God's Word, uh, making a commitment to uh, refresh ourselves on a regular basis. We have those little uh, booklets in the back, uh, Our Daily Bread, uh, put out by uh, Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, and um, uh, that's currently what I, what I use. I read that every day, and it's just a short passage of scripture to read and then a little commentary on it and just a, a life lesson down at the bottom 
But we live in the United States of America where we have lots and lots of choices. Uh, there's so many different devotionals out there. We are so blessed. There's so many Bible translations out there that one of the most confusing things to do is to, if you're a new believer and go into the uh, Christian bookstore and say, I want to buy a Bible. I'm like, well, do you want the RSV, the NIV, the ESV? And, you know, we've got dozens and dozens of translations. Uh, we are so blessed. And so uh, we need to have those spiritual disciplines in our life of being in God's word every day. Uh, I love the saying, the family that prays together stays together. Um, marriages that pray together stay together. Uh, couples that have a discipline, not just at mealtime, but praying together on a regular basis, uh, the divorce statistics are 1 in 300 if you and your wife pray together regularly. Uh, almost divorce-proof your marriage. So the, the family that prays together stays together. Um, how about marriage renewal? This is what we're trying to do on Saturday and inviting you to come and uh, uh, just to get um, good encouragement and learn and grow um, in our in our marriage um, great opportunity to, to, to do that. Uh, retreats, uh, seminars are important. Uh, weekly worship's important. Uh, to come together like this, and Hebrews 10.25 says, encourage one another as you come together. For our family, uh, it's been um, ministry on the other side of the state called Maranatha Bible Missionary Conference, where um, we vacationed as a family for about 20 years, vacation with a purpose. And uh, we would go there as a family, um, not only be physically renewed, but um, spiritually renewed. And uh, that's, uh, that's been a great, great blessing in our lives. Well, God's prescription, God's antidote for fear and discouragement is the Word of God. And uh, we need to be continually renewed and continually encouraged and I hope that's part of uh, what's, what's happening as we meet together um, this morning. As Israel uh, won that battle and decided to go to Mount Ebal and read God's Word, uh, I thought that we would um, close our service by reading some of God's Word and then uh, singing a hymn. So uh, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read uh, part of God's Word. I promise I won't read the entire law. Uh, we're just going to read a part of a chapter from uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 85, and then we will conclude. But uh, here's a great psalm, Psalm 85, um, written by the sons of Korah. Let me read the first seven verses. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord. And Lord, that is our prayer, that you will renew and revive our hearts Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for uh, these three young people that we were able to um, watch their public profession of faith in you. And we uh, encourage them as they've encouraged us today. And so, Lord, help us to uh, go forth from here uh, not afraid, not fearful, 
um, not discouraged, but encouraged because our lives are in your hands, because we know uh, who holds our future. And if we know Jesus as our Savior, we know where that future takes us. It's an eternity with you forever and ever. And so uh, bless as we encourage one another. And thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.